Hello and welcome to Now Here's a Thing, the latest laid-back podcast crafted by me, Tracy Jones, and me, Heather Noble. Say maybe we've reached the end. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's a little bit drastic. No. Uh, uh, yeah. Maybe we've just reached the age. Nana where... nap. Why is it called a nana nap and not a granddad nap? Because I seem to remember I go and visit my grandma and granddad. It was always my granddad having a nap in the chair. Yes. My grandma was always way too busy. Yeah, that's a true. granddad nap, not a nana yeah. nap. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. But as I'm neither a grandma nor a grand... Well, I'm not even a mum, so... But you like a nap. But I like a little napster. So shall we call it a... Heather nap. A heather nap, yeah. <laughs> a noble nap. <laughs> noble a nap? A noble nap. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Now, here's the thing. It's not about nana naps today. Eating to fix the planet. Oh? Yeah, this caught my eye in positive news. And there's been a report, Eating for Net Zero report, by the Worldwide Fund, WWF. And they're saying that a diet that doesn't deviate drastically from current British eating habits, but is much kinder to the planet and costs the same to buy, can be achieved. Okay. Achieving a healthy, sustainable diet is possible without having to go vegan or vegetarian or to give up treats. So says the CEO of WWF UK. Right. So what is he saying? Because she. She. Oh, God. Sexism. Wow. Yeah. In fact, you're not even allowed to say that. What are they saying? Um. Is it not eating meat or what? How? Well, if you bear with me, I shall expand. Go. Go for it. Okay. So this was in um, Positive News yesterday. Okay. We're recording this on the 27th. So this was an article from the 26th. And apparently, moo frites are the perfect sustainable meal. Oh, well, I don't mind that. Can I have chips with it? Moo frites. Frites. Oh, moo on frites. Oh, yeah. Yeah, moo frites. Oh, yeah. Okay, so adopting a healthy, sustainable diet could deliver a 36% reduction in global greenhouse gas emissions and a 20% reduction in biodiversity loss. Right, so if I eat more fruit, so I'm getting the protein from the shellfish, the carb from the potato, where's my greens? Mm, Okay, so according to WWF, 80% 80% more lower footprint seafood. So local seafood, yeah, I'm yeah, guessing. Yeah. Mussels and sardines. Are you into sardines? Um, I like sardine paste from Portugal, but I don't like sardines. Okay. Mussels for you then. Uh, yeah, mussels for me. An 80, oh, sorry, a 50% boost in beans and pulses. Okay. 45% more fruit and veg. And a reduction in meat. So it's not cutting out meat altogether, but 69% less. 25% less dairy and 32% less eggs. Okay. 
Why the egg? Oh, because of intensive farming, I suppose. Yeah, um, I'm guessing so. Um, it says here, let me just see, some 30% of global greenhouse gas emissions come from food production. An over-reliance on meat and intensive farming practices is taking a heavy toll on soil health and biodiversity. So, yeah, I'm guessing it's quite nuanced. Mm. But they say that cow farts are um, affecting the ozone layer, aren't they? Yeah. Aren't, co- aren't cow farts bad? Methane doesn't production? Mention, doesn't mention cow farts, but I'm sure that's part of it. I think it is. Yeah, I think it is. So what, what are they saying? Like, there's been a lot of stuff lately, hasn't there, about the cost associated with food. Yes, people seem to think that buying fresh, fresh produce is more expensive than processed food, and I think there is an element of that. But what are they? How are how are we meant to do this? How are we meant to manage this when there's people are struggling financially? Okay, so in in the report it says that there needs to be some sort of leveraging going on with this shift, um, and it starts with rethinking government dietary guidelines, combined with a committed example setting through public procurement of quality, sustainable foods for schools, hospitals, care homes and other public institutions. Okay. And as we've seen from thing, things like Jamie Oliver's campaigns and also from experience of hospitals, my mum used to be a chef in a hospital, um, friend was a chef in a care home, there isn't that example setting of quality produce in those public sector. So it starts there, change the dietary guidelines and then actually start to buy good produce and set the example in the public sector. But it also goes on to say that it's not just preference. It's about what's available as well. So how affordable and how available it is, is also a factor that's determined by government and business. So it needs a, a concerted effort. Well, I remember... Oh, God. Yeah, every time I say that, I remember a time. Or I'm old <laughs> enough to remember a time. Days. In the olden days. So you did eat with the seasons, didn't you? So it would be out of the question to have broad beans or beans in the winter months. You know, you'd be eating leafy greens and carrots and parsnips and swedes and potatoes and things like that. But we just have stuff flown in now, don't we? Yeah. And when you consider... The shelf life on thing, you know, there there's a lot of stuff. It's the flying of the stuff. It's those air miles that are actually out of proportion because we didn't starve when we were kids. You just ate with the seasons. Whereas now, I think we just decide, I, I can eat asparagus in December. It might not be brilliant asparagus. We're more about volume than we are about mm. taste, I think. It, it says that, um, obviously, those market factors and availability factors, I mean... If they weren't available, you wouldn't buy them in the same way that you would buy them if they were available, maybe. Yeah. But it says in the report that uh, business and government are actually right now pushing us to confu- consume foods that are harmful to our health and the planet. And so what WWF is saying is that we need policies that improve the affordability, availability and desirability. That's quite important yeah. to have all of yeah, them. Yeah. It's got to be desirable as well as yeah. affordable and available of healthy, sustainable food so that it becomes an easier choice. 
Yeah, so it's not just yeah. spinach. I like that balance too. Uh, mm. Because desirability is a big part of it. If you feel that you're only eating what you can afford and what's available, you, you lose some of the joy yeah. of the eating. But if it appears to be the desirable option... But then again, I suppose way back in time, people did literally just eat to survive. You know, we've made... We've made eating is a social thing, but we've made it much more of a um, a leisure activity. Yeah, rather than well, definitely. I tell you what, I've discovered is that breakfast dates are a big thing now. Okay, yeah, it's cool, isn't it? What are you on the dating scene? Well, no dates with a friend. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you mean a bottomless brunch? No, no, it was a breakfast. breakfast. It was definitely breakfast. Wow. So it was early on Saturday morning, and we weren't the only people in this meeting for place meeting for breakfast. In fact, we chatted for so long, it perhaps turned into lunch. Um, but there were people there, friends, younger people actually, mostly younger people, um, meeting up and, and having their breakfasts mm. and going off about doing their business Saturday morning. Uh, and, and that's great, but again... The idea of dining out for breakfast mm-hmm. would have been unheard of once upon a time. Well, yeah. Because, in fact, dining out, well, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's just... You are starting to sound really old. No, no, but, but it's, it's true. Just, it's yeah. you know, like, I don't know, if you go to, you go to a, a restaurant on a Saturday, eat tea time, it's full of families. Yeah. Your kids, I mean, kids are dining out quite often yeah and yeah meeting for breakfast it is lovely it's lovely but people would never have done that once upon a time well here's something that'll blow your mind go on a colleague in his early 20s has a house yeah doesn't bother about a kitchen what he hasn't got a kitchen yeah not functioning one orders in everything he eats Um, and drinks including coffee doesn't even boil a kettle you're paying him too much money. <laughs> I mean, that's... I mean, that is crazy, isn't it? Well, he thinks it's quite normal. Yeah, so, presumably, but... he's not an outlier in in his friends. No, so so how can we... If every every cup of coffee he has is coming in an insulated cup... Somebody's driving it to, Yeah, it, like, that's... And his, his comment is it's quicker for me to um, order that coffee in than it is for me to boil the kettle. No, rubbish. I can't believe that either, but there we go. Anyway, so if you wanted more details on this, so I just read that snippet from the Positive News website, but then there was a link to the WWF website, wwf.org.uk, and their Eating for Net Zero report. And it goes into quite a bit more detail, as you can imagine. So I just looked at... Um, the executive summary. So there, there are seven key levers that they talk about. So this urgent focus on healthy, sustainable diets and to support a nature positive net zero transition in the UK. And the emphasis here is on the actions needed by government and businesses. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah. uh, number one is dietary guidelines. Yeah. So the government set out recommendations on what a healthy, balanced diet looks like. Um, two, public food procurement, as I mentioned before. Mm-hmm. So um, actually 
role modelling um, in the public sector, safety nets and targeted support. So measures that improve access to healthy, sustainable diets and um, particularly pertinent, pertinent at the moment with the cost of living crisis. Mm. If you've got to decide between eating and heating, yes, then you, you might not go for the sustainable option. Yeah. Why would you yeah. when you're just about surviving? Yeah. Um, for food environments, um, to enable diet shift at scale, healthy, sustainable products and meals need to be most available, affordable, accessible and appealing options. Okay. okay. Transparency and accountability to accelerate the shift to healthy, sustainable diets by enabling improved monitoring and health and sustainability impacts and providing a level playing field for businesses to source and sell sustainable food. I can imagine there'll be some kickback on that from... It takes quite a bold government because food, the big food companies are big companies, aren't they? Uh, Education and information, education and training um, to improve the understanding of healthy, sustainable diets... But you can't just do that. You need all the other stuff as well. And investment in sustainable production. I I think it's a nice, well-balanced, thought-through report. Mm. What happens with it? But uh, we'll see. I think uh, it's putting the pressure on government and business. And the question is, what appetite do they have? Oh, very good. Very good. Well, well, talking of farming, but not talking of farming at all. I um, <laughs> we didn't we didn't um, record anything last week, um, but of course, Glastonbury Festival has been going on. Yes, on Pilton Farm. Yes, and Glastonbury every year absolutely fascinates me. Have you ever been to a festival? A very small folk festival. Okay. I'm not good with crowds. Okay. I've also been to a children's music festival, the Just So Festival. Okay. Camping. Camping. Right. And so I've been to... Oh, and another very small boutique festival, but that was just like one night. Right, okay. Again, that was camping. Okay. And not big crowds, and certainly not the size of Glastonbury. Well, I mean, Glastonbury is immense, isn't it? And, And I... It just looks like everybody's having such a great time. And I really feel like I'm missing out on something. But there's a bit of me that just can't quite oh, at this late stage. I really life. know that I'm quite happy sat on my sofa watching with it. a glass of wine, watching it on the TV. Yes. I, yeah, I think that. But then I did see that Sarah Cox from Radio 2 was in um, the pop-up hotel. Oh, which and that sounds better. Rather nice. Pop-up hotel and that. a golf buggy. That would be my requirement. Well, what they do is they take you from your car to the pop-up hotel. Um, okay. It's, it's, I, I'm getting into this now. Yeah, okay. go on. I mean, it's not cheap. Uh, there's, um, there's a pool. A pool. <laughs> um, there's, like, lots of nice TP-type tents that you're sleeping in. Um They've already been inundated with bookings for 2024. Um, they start from about two and a half thousand pounds. Okay. Um, so the gl- and then there's the cost of the ticket on top of that. There's the cost and of the, the food. Ticket. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, it's 
it's a 10 minute flat walk to get to gate D. Um, it has stylish accommodation with proper beds, some ensuite, a restaurant and bar, a multi-treatment spa and a full-size pool. A bargain. Sounds good to me. So it's just off-site, but it it sounds amazing. And what sounded... In, what? Oh, here we go. You can have a TP tent house suite for £25,000. <laughs> 25000 OK. Yeah. Yeah, um, a little bit too up rich to eight for people. my pocket. Up but... to eight people. Um, and then... 25 divided by eight, that's all right. Yeah, three grand each. <laughs> yeah, six grand per couple. Um, or a classic room, which is two, it's £3,000 and can sleep up to four people. Uh, but I was listening to somebody on the radio the other day, and they, on yesterday, I think, they had taken a bed... A double bed. Oh, I've seen that all over social media. Two glass debris, yes. Uh, Which I thought was hilarious. Um, But, so a year at £4,000. What's this? A gypsy caravan? £4,000. Safari tent, £5,500. Anyway, an Airstream, £12,000. But, you know, when you look at those... um... Aerial shots of all those people watching. Oh, the first thing I saw was Foo Fighters. Yeah. Um, On Friday night, yeah. it meant to be amazing. Saturday night, amazing, wasn't it? Friday night, yeah. Oh, Friday night, yeah, yeah Friday, I was out, sorry. Friday, yeah. early evening, yeah. yeah. Um, and you think, well, actually, can you see anything? No, I don't suppose I you can. see more on the TV. I know, I know, but I think it's just being amongst those people. Yeah, and so that's the thing that puts me off. Yeah, two hundred amongst people, <laughs> two hundred ten thousand people, or whatever. It was. And we're very different in that respect, aren't we? So you you would love being amongst people. I would avoid being amongst people. I'd like being amongst the people, but when I want to sit down, I want to sit down, um, and I want to sit in a comfy chair, and I want to. I don't want to camp. Yeah, you know it's, um, but. Yeah, so I was having a look at... So have you booked yourself tickets? Not yet, no, no, no probably not going to happen, probably not going to happen. Um, but I, I was just sort of looking at, you know, what interesting things are there and there's loads of things about um, why it all started and um, and basically um, Michael Evis had got a load of debt so he thought it would settle some of his debt, but it kind of went wrong and he ended up with more debt. Oh, no. But um, 76,000 tents. So somebody said that uh, the first night they were there, it took them ages to find their tent. But then the GlastonburyTips.com website says, yes. download the What Three Words app oh, and create perfect. a pin for your tent. Perfect. G- like in- insider information. Um what, 40,000 rubbish bins uh, in 1997 at the other stage sank. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, Suzanne Vega in, I'm not sure what year it was, and um, there have been death threats against her so she wore a bulletproof vest on stage. Wow. Um, s- people have sold Glastonbury mud. One person managed to sell some worthy farm mud for 74 quid in 2004, whilst another punter had some mud from the festival framed. Wow, okay. Um, 
babies born. There have been at least three babies born during the, the festival. festival. Yeah. Sean Crothers and Heidi Wesson even received a personalised gift from the Rolling Stones following their headline set in 2013. Now, I think it's the Rolling Stones headline set and not, <laughs> not the birth. <laughs> Um, well, they've got all sorts of stages. Maybe they have got a birthing tent. As well, well, they've got everything else. They're never originally there weren't any police at Glastonbury. It was a police-free zone. Um, but there's a lovely picture here of two mounted police, and they're wearing wings. <laughs> they tend to dress up. Um, the pyramid stage um, was first built in 1971. It's been replaced three times. Um, and then there's something called the underground piano bar. I don't think it means under the ground. I think it means like a sort of temperance, um, like a speakeasy. Um, and the Dalai Lama has even been to the Glastonbury Festival in 2015. I remember. Yeah, I remember seeing him on stage. So it's these these little things about the festival that I think make it... It's the size of 500 football pitches, which actually... As I learned not that long ago, different football pitches are different sizes. Oh, okay. So, well, I saw a map of it overlaid over Wrexham, which is a town, okay. a city where I live, and it was quite overwhelming. And it confirmed that I would not want to be walking around that. Because I think it would be tiring. If you could, could you take a bike? Oh, golf buggy, you said, didn't you? Oh yeah, golf buggy would be good, wouldn't it? But no, no bit too much for me i was listening on because i've listened to quite a lot of the coverage on sex music as well as watching it and um there was one guest was saying talking about the healing fields and what goes on over there and she said she was thinking of going making a, a pot you can okay. a pot yeah you can make arrows and swords and all sorts of things and i think you can have a very different experience you don't Without have to see music. it yeah, you don't yeah. in fact the same a um, woman said, what you forget about Glastonbury is it's mostly walking interspersed with some music. I th- I think that is the thing. When you see how massive it is, that you would just... It would be tiresome. But, yeah, it's just... I don't know. I just think when you hear people who've been, it just sounds I've not heard so... anybody say that they didn't enjoy it. Yeah, exactly. And that, that it's kind of worth it. They're knackered afterwards. Because there's not a lot of sleeping, because I think it's probably quite noisy. Um, even at night, I think there's a lot of people pootling around. Um, Michael Evis has wanted to get Fleetwood Mac um, to Glastonbury. He's been in conversation with them pretty much every year. Well, it's Emily Evis now, um, but it hasn't worked out yet. Um, Paul McCartney was the oldest headliner. Uh, in his second performance. Billie Eilish was the youngest performer to headline. Talking about older performers, there were quite a few that I saw this year. Candy Statton's of a, a, a fair old age, isn't she? She's in her 80s. Yeah, was she there? Yeah. Um, well, Elton. Oh, yeah, we've had Diana Ross, haven't we? Dolly Parton. Yeah. You know, they're not spring chickens. Cat Stevens played this yeah, year. Yeah, well, he was good. And he was good. Um, and did you watch Elton John? I did. I did indeed, and uh, I thought his singing voice was amazing. Better than it, we have heard in the past. I think he. Oh gosh, that one went. People will never let him forget the "I'm Dill Banding" bit. No, 
But uh, yeah, no, his, his voice was amazing. I think he must and have his been... teeth were fine. Yeah, drinking Although, honey or something. All to... of the talk on social media is about Brandon Flowers' uh, turkey teeth. Turkey teeth? Like he'd, he'd gone to Turkey on the way to get oh, his teeth done. Oh, turkey teeth! I wasn't sure what it was. I had to delve deeper into the bowels of social media. What do they mean by turkey teeth? But yes, yes that he'd gone to Turkey to have his teeth done because right. they were incredibly white and straight and not at all British. <laughs> Well, yeah, so there we go. So the closest I'm coming to a festival is um, going to uh, Rock the Park. Let's Rock Shrewsbury, which is an <laughs> 80s one-day festival. Um, and, yeah, that's about as good as I can manage. Good for you. Now Here's a Thing is a Jones & Noble production brought to you every week. Well, maybe not every week, Heather. <laughs> <laughs> Recorded with an iPhone... A microphone and lots of hot air. <laughs>